Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity in Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Twitter at Creativity Play and Facebook as well. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is jazz pianist Jonathan Batiste, a member of the long lineage of musicians from the Batiste family of Louisiana. Jonathan's recordings include Times in New Orleans and Live in New York at the Rubin Museum of Art, both of which feature original works. He's a graduate of the Juilliard School and currently serves as music curator at the Jazz Museum in Harlem, where he created and leads the Jazz Is Now series. He's currently featured in a role on the HBO TV series Treme and is composing a musical with acclaimed playwright Terrell Alvin McCraney. Jonathan Batiste, welcome to Creativity and Play. Hey, how you doing, Steve? Good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you live in New York right now where you do some of the work we just mentioned in the intro, but you perform all over the place, but your roots are in Louisiana. And I'm wondering if you could start by talking about how your creativity was informed by growing up in that very creative artistic culture of of Louisiana. Absolutely. Louisiana is, is really a rich cultural city in many ways. I mean, especially in New Orleans, but where I grew up in Kenner, Louisiana, it was the same way. And, um, of course, I spent a lot of time in New Orleans with my family and also going to school there. So I picked up a lot of the spontaneity and zest for life that everyone down there has. And that's really a huge part in creativity. The um the ability to feel comfortable with being spontaneous and to go with the flow. What do so, you what do you think is your flow right now, Jonathan? You've got so much going on um in terms of a new T V show and a play coming up and in all your various musical endeavors. So, you know, what what's going on for you right now in terms of that flow? That's the thing. You can never really say what's um what's going on. It's it's always more about trying to be in the moment and trying to take in as much as you can and give as much as you can. It's like um, going through the journey is really what's going on. So other than that, you can't really specify it. So for me specifically, what I'm trying to do right now is to make everything happen in a way that I can really be happy with and really say, is the best that I can do. So that takes a certain level of focus. When I'm on the set of Treme, I'm focused on doing that to the best of my ability. When I'm writing the musical, I'm trying to do that. And when I'm performing, of course, I'm trying to give the audience the best that I can in that moment. So um, to say the least, that takes a lot of energy. So once I'm doing it, I can't focus on the end of it, but rather focus on the now. And how does that connect with 
your family lineage in which you you must have had some interesting experiences as a, as a child and which led you to what you're doing now. Absolutely. Growing, growing up in New Orleans, again, is one of those things that's very unique, and it was a blessing for me. And my family, being that they're such a large musical family and a large lineage, put a sort of unsaid pressure, and it wasn't something that they did purposefully. It was just something that comes when you're the youngest and you have three cousins that are great drummers and you have four uncles that play piano and keyboard and you have a dad who's a great bassist and everyone expects you to be at the same level. Now, of course, being the youngest, you see it all from the perspective of you're coming into a tradition and uh, you have to fulfill the shoes of all of those who came before you. So I think a lot of my drive comes from just wanting to represent my family's name in the proper fashion. When when you're playing with your trio, which I think is is how you most often play, I believe, um, can you talk right. a little bit about the, the improv process that you guys uh, use as you play together and how you interact with each other um, and, and how that allows for you those different styles of creativity that really show uh, for each individual that's part of that trio? Mm -hmm. Creativity has to be spontaneous and in the moment in order for it to have that spark that makes everyone sit on the edge of their seat at a performance and hang on to every note. And the blessing for me is to have two players in the trio who are not only comfortable with being focused and creative to that level, but that's their forte. Joe Saylor, the drummer, and Philip King, the bassist, they've been playing together for, I don't know, maybe 25 years. Both of their parents are music teachers, and they came up together in Pittsburgh, well, near Pittsburgh, in um, Indiana, Pennsylvania. So they've been playing together since they were about one or two years old. So they figured out a way to really blend their sound to be one. And what that creates in the group is the type of oneness that's necessary to go from here to the moon with your imagination because you're not thinking about actually playing together. So I guess the, the first element of it all is how do you listen to the person that you're playing with or to the people that you're playing with and also when you're listening and taking in information, put information out to them at the right time without breaking that flow and that uh, spontaneous that spontaneous spark that you have to keep lit for everyone to still remain engaged. So with us, the question then becomes, since we're comfortable playing with each other, I've been playing with them for close to 10 years now. I met them when I was in high school. So there's a synergy that we've created which now begs the question of how do we know when we've gone too far out for people to understand? <laughs> because it's like having a conversation in front of people who don't know any of your history and they're not a part of your circle, so it can become esoteric to them. So that's another thing about creativity. 
when is it too much and and when is it far enough outside of what people are used to hearing that it's intriguing and fresh to them but not esoteric. So that's the second thing about playing with the trio interesting. Because when we're playing there's a whole lot of things that we can do together based on our relationship. Well, I know that you're a curator at the museum in Harlem, and I wonder how that sense of creative and playful collaboration comes into play as a curator and also in, in the community itself, in the Harlem community. How how do you see that creative well, flow in those senses? Yes, I see uh that that's a that's a good question and the reason is is um the reason it is for me the the musician versus me the curator such a good question is because there's a lot of similarities to it even though the overarching role of a curator versus musician is completely different because one is behind the scenes and the other is in the moment. So for me, when I'm doing the museum work, I'm trying to think of how to make it be as spontaneous and fresh as if I'm doing a performance on the piano. But you're doing it beforehand, so you have to think about how can you create programming that will be engaging and also spontaneous once the people are there before they get there. So my work at the museum is really cool because it helps my performance work. It informs that in a way that you'd think would, wouldn't really apply if you're improvising, but it does apply because I have to know the psychology of the listener. And to know the psychology of the listener helps you to better interact with them. Does that come into play when you're recording too, Jonathan? Oh yes, <laughs> even more so. That's a great question as well. It's it's like uh, when you record music, not only is it something that happens after the fact for the listener, the experience of the listener happens after the fact because they can put the CD in years after you've you recorded it and captured that moment. And for them, the experience is when they put the CD in. It's not when you're actually performing it. So to know the psychology of a listener when recording is vital because you're not performing for them, even though you are performing in the studio. <laughs> so you have to think of performing in a different way. It's more about capturing a moment that will be engaging for the listener at any time that they were to listen to the CD rather than trying to capture a moment that's specific to an audience and specific to a stage and making that moment be as intense and clear as possible. So it really it really has a lot to do with the selection of material that you decide to record, who you decide to record with, and what the over... But the underlying concept of the record is because that's what makes the experience of a CD 
what it is versus the experience of performing live on a stage. What you were just describing about the um, curating versus performing as a musician was kind of fascinating, and it was reminding me of, of what you were telling me previously about the series that you've been involved with at the Rubin Museum of Art of, of bringing musicians in to perform in the museum, but also to engage with the art in the museum. And can you say a little bit more about that series and what happens at it and, and who's been part of it? Absolutely. The Rubin Museum of Art was a series that started out of the Jazz Museum in Harlem four years ago. And this time, the uh, the artistic director and founder of the museum Lawrence Schoenberg is the person who began that series with the goal of getting people to come and hear live music from the gems of Harlem. The great musicians that live in Harlem are completely unknown sometimes to musicians who are touring around the world and may be more mainstream. So he wanted to raise an awareness for those musicians as well as create a program that collaborated with the museum and the art that's in the museum. Now, if you go to the Rubin Museum of Art, you'll see that there's a lot of Himalayan art there. And that's the theme of, of what the museum is built around. So what the artist that comes in does is they select a piece of artwork from the museum beforehand and compose a music, or I guess not a musical tribute, but more of a musical depiction of whatever piece of artwork they chose. And what happens then is it presented at their concert, and that's the theme of Harlem and the Himalayas in concert. The music is there that they usually would play, the Harlem musicians. And then there's also the music inspired by the Himalayan art. Jonathan, do you find when you go to different uh, venues to play that you play very differently? You hear you're playing to a particular area through art when you're actually in a location or a place. Does that change the flavor of your of what you're playing and who you're playing with? Totally. It's always different because the moment is, it's it's very, how can you say, the moment is undeterminable. It's always undeterminable. You never can tell or determine what will be in in that space when you get there. The idea for me is to mentally prepare and physically prepare for when I arrive in that space because it's undeterminable what will happen. So the only thing that you can do is be prepared for anything. And the people that you're performing with, if they're in the same mindset, that's when the magic happens because it's it's always different and it's always something unique then it always has the opportunity of being at the same level of engagement and the same special quality that happens when you see a performance and 
you're on the edge of your seat and you feel, wow, I can't believe that this is happening right now. So I perform searching for that space that each venue offers. And once I find it, the challenge then becomes how can I stay in this space and not break the flow. You've described several examples so already in our conversation about uh, the, the, the different kinds of collaboration that you're doing uh, with with um, different artists and different genres, and, and wondering if you'll elaborate a little more on this idea of creative collaboration, but how how that is different if you're versus playing playing with your trio versus collaborating on the television show versus working on the musical. Uh, play that, that you're you're in the midst of versus the the museum curation work you're doing. Um, how is it the same? How is it different uh, in terms of create, creative collaboration with others in those different projects? Right. I'd like to think that first and foremost, when you're in the performing arts or in any sort of artwork that is delivered to an audience there's an automatic collaboration that I haven't mentioned yet, but it's very important to have in the back of your mind. The collaboration between the artist and the audience, because the audience gives you the energy back from the energy that you deliver to them. So whenever there's an exchange of energy, an exchange of thought and idea and feeling, then that's an automatic collaboration. And um, if that's not in mind when creating your art or when, when you're delivering your art, then I feel there will be a huge disconnect between you and the people who um, are, are, I guess, uh, the people who engage in what it is that you have to offer. So um, that's one thing that is completely the same between being on a TV show or doing the work at the museum, writing the musical, and performing live. But things that are also the same that I find are that if you find that space that is who you are, and it's it's like what you would do if you were sitting in your living room and you were having coffee and eating breakfast with all of your windows wide open and the sun was coming in and you were completely comfortable on a summer's day, like that level of comfortability is what you should find when you're doing everything. And it's interesting because once you do find that, it seems like all of it is very easy because you're just being yourself. The The difficulty with that is finding that space and staying in that space, and that's where the edge comes from. So it's like you're you're trying to figure out how to be relaxed but not be relaxed. So um, that's another thing that's really um, the same. The differences I find versus, I'll take two examples of um, writing the musical versus, let's say, um, doing the TV show. That That's a good one because they're both um, dramatical elements involved where the, the, the dramatic element is the key center of, it's the center of the presentation. So with the musical, 
knowing that the dramatic element is the center of the presentation, the music has to be in a supporting role in a lot of the um, in a lot of the scenes and and in a lot of the musical in general. So going into that, I try to figure out how can I make the music tell the story and how can I make the music be right inside of what's happening with the book and with the script going from one scene to the next. The music is more like the connective tissue. Whereas with the show, the the scenes on a television show connect themselves much more clearly because there's a lot less to present. And the scenes can be cut up to present different stories in a clear way that you can't really do on stage. So the music for a show is more geared toward what's happening in this moment and how can I intensify it. I have to get a song that intensifies that moment that we're in to the highest level. Versus with a musical, it's about telling the story with the songs and then participating as an actor in the show. It's, again, about finding that space that's me so I don't come off as being ingenuine. Jonathan, you you strike me as a very genuine, thoughtful person, and I'm I'm struck with as we talk with you um, the seriousness, the serious play behind what you create. And um, I'm thinking about you know as I was uh, listening to and moving with your music and listening to your dad play and everything, I was just, I couldn't keep myself from moving and (laughs) playing. (laughs) And here we are, here we are, we're talking very seriously here about all these things. And I just kind of want to put that into the mix, that your music is very playful, very creative, very fun to move to, um, and the various people that I saw you play with, including your your own father. And um, so I just wanted to say that to everybody, that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Jonathan's music, boy, please do, because you'll be moving on your feet, and, and I'm just grateful for that. Um, mix in my life now that I that I didn't know, I didn't know about you, so I'm very happy to talk to you and, and put out that playful word about you and what you bring to the table, including your your definite genuineness that I hear on our talk today. Absolutely. I appreciate you listening and, and enjoying it. I'm glad to hear that. It's wonderful. Sort of picking up on that uh, particular topic, I was thinking about the question of how how else do you play beyond the serious play that we have been talking about in the work that you do and the performing that you do. Where's the lighter side of play in your life? What does that look like? Right. Uh, there's there's definitely a whole lot of lightness there. It's it's a lot of lightness, which is really a blessing. I I, I believe in this saying to um to apply to both my life and also my work, which is work hard and play hard. And if you don't do that, I feel there's not going to be the balance necessary to have longevity. So for me, a lot of the things that I do in my art that are really serious and conceptual are there just to add a depthness 
a depth and a richness to the element of play and fun and danceability and celebration, which I feel are just as much a necessity or even more so than the conceptual element. The conceptual element takes a lot of work and thought because that's the element that you find when you go deep inside of your your intelligence and deep inside of your soul and your wit to try to deliver something that's coherent but very, very artistic and unique. But then when you have the celebration of the music and the fun element, that's the element that takes no thought. It just takes the intuitiveness of of how you feel and going with that and trying to find that. So in my life, I like to do a lot of things that help me to be in touch with that side of myself as well. You know, I play basketball a lot. I hang out with friends. I have a true passion for conversation and just talking about things that really are are frivolous and trivial because that's really important to um, be able to do that and have that element present in your life. Otherwise, you'll just be not very happy and your music won't have a certain connectedness to the audience because most people I know just really they want to have fun and they really want to let loose and be themselves. You know, um, why should they really care about all of the things that you're thinking about unless you have something to offer to them? So I always think about trying to give to the audience and the listener in both ways. Well, I know when you're on stage, um, just what we're doing here with our uh, talk show, there's a bit of technology, and when I was on with you today, the phone dropped off. I came back on. So I imagine on stage there's a lot of technological things that go on that also you, well, there's that flow between relaxed and not relaxed (laughs) with some of that, I'm sure, as you, you know, up there with all the the new technological bits and pieces of your music. And oh, the live man. shows that you do, yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. The, the the technology that we we deal with in in our current time is is unmatched in any point in history. And the thing that's amazing about that, and also the thing that can be challenging for some musicians, is the fact that it's unavoidable. You have to find a way to embrace it or you really won't be able to deal as comfortably in our times as you could have done before. So um, one of the things that I challenge myself with and also I have fun doing is incorporating the the technology of our time into the acoustic earthiness of, of the times that were before us in music and in culture and in the arts of music specifically. You know, there weren't things like a drum machine or a laptop computer (laughs) or even a keyboard up to um, 40 years ago. So incorporating those things but maintaining the soul is is really difficult for for a lot of artists because it hasn't really been done and documented enough for there to be a specifically defined way of doing it, not to mention there's so many changes in technology. So 
that challenge is, is really interesting to think about, and I'm getting more and more into it and more and more able to do it successfully. Now, the, the, the interesting part about it all is, is that's what I'm trying to do with the museum as well. In the next years to come, we're going to have a lot of technology implemented into the museum and interactive technology to be more specific. Like, um, for instance, going into the museum and being able to create a song of your own in five minutes on an iPad that's in the museum and have yeah. the song for yourself. Or, you know, collaborate, finish a song that someone else started and have it posted on a website where everyone can download it. So it's very interesting to think about. Sorry to interrupt, but we are out of time today. So I want to thank you very much for joining us on Creativity and Play. Jonathan Batiste is a jazz pianist and music curator at the Jazz Museum in Harlem. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and coming shows at creativityandplay.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you, Jonathan. No problem.